So the second chapter of Revelation, we'll read starting in the first verse. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's all we'll read. So you look at here, and we may have to talk about some things that we already know as we get started in this Scripture. But you look at the beginning here, at the order of the revelation of God. This is not something that's just flung together haphazardly. But here you've got, this is Jesus. Jesus is speaking to the Apostle John. And He says, John unto the angel. And if we look back a couple verses, you're going to see the candlesticks that John saw in chapter 1 were the seven churches. And those stars, they were the angels, the, the pastors of the churches that were there. And so here, he's got a letter for the church of Ephesus. Jesus is going to reveal this to John, the apostle. John's going to pin this down and write it to the pastor, to the angel of the church at Ephesus. And that pastor is going to be the one to relay that message further. If you look back in chapter 1, I'm, I'm not making it up. The revelation, chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him. So who is Him? That's Jesus Christ. So God the Father gave Jesus Christ a message and a revelation that Jesus would to shew unto His servants. So this revelation of Jesus came from God the Father through Jesus Christ unto His servants the apostles and the apostles as they were as this was manifested to them and you think about that manifestation now Isaiah and Jeremiah Moses and Abraham David uh, all of these old testament men they they had an idea of what God was going to do but exactly how it was all going to come together and exactly what God's plan was I don't believe one of them had the whole picture in their mind. Daniel was left in a place of, God, would you reveal more of this to me? Show me something else and help me understand. And Peter writes in his epistle that these men, they, they desired to see these things. And today we've saw them. So this was not manifested to our world in the old days. But the Lord Jesus has come and He is revealed the full plan of God. 
And as this was revealed, it was given to the apostles. The apostles had that authority from God. They had authority to establish churches and to work miracles. And they pinned down straight from, straight from Jesus Christ right here. John is writing right out of Jesus' mouth by the working of the Spirit, the Word of God. And here, you see how this is working. In here, he's writing, John is writing this to the pastor. The pastor is going to preach this to the church. It's the same means of revelation that you and I have today. You know, the, the pastors today are to lead and to guide and to instruct and to reprove the church right out of the writings of the apostles. This order is not to be, it's not to be thrown out of whack. I can't go above the apostles. And the apostles can't go above Jesus. And Jesus can't reveal what the Father won't let Him reveal. See, it's all, it's all in a line and in an order so that we've got the revealed Word of God. We've got what we need that we can understand and see the work of Christ. And we can't add to nor take away any of that. The work of the minister and the work of the church today ought to be, God, would you help me to understand this exactly as you wrote it. And we have the Holy Ghost there to guide us in the truth as to what the Word of God would say. So he says here, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars, who walketh in the midst of the candlesticks. So we're getting an idea of who this message is coming from. And if you look back in chapter 1, John's going to see this man, Jesus Christ, not like He was when He was here on the earth, but He's going to be exalted. He's going to be in glory and in power. He's going to be uh, in a manner that John didn't see Him on the earth. He's going to see Him as He really is. And here He is and He's walking in the midst of the seven candlesticks. I believe we got a picture there of the Old Testament. You know, they had the candlestick there in the tabernacle and in the temple. And there was a priest that come every morning and every evening. And they would add oil to the lamps as they needed. And they would trim the wicks of the lamps as they needed that the fire would keep burning. And here's the Lord Jesus in the midst of His candlesticks, in the midst of the church. That, And I tell you, it's, it's all set up of God. That there would be light in the world that we're in. God put a candlestick in the world that we're in that the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ might shine forth unto people that are in darkness. God established that and set it in order. And here's the Lord Jesus in the midst of His candlestick and He's there tending to it. He's going to trim it. He's going to add all as it needs. And you know, we're not talking about a natural lamp. We're talking about the lives of people. So how's He going to do that? He's going to give them a word of exhortation and a word of encouragement that might bring us in order that our light might shine forth even greater. This is not from somebody... You know, I'm afraid that a lot of times it, it happens that a man preaches the Word of God and it's, well, that's your opinion. And I'm not going to hear what you've got to say about that. Or well, you don't have any authority to, to speak on those things. Well, see, that's the order that, that God put this in. This is revealed 
This is given and now men of God have the responsibility and not just any man either. It's not just any man that wants to put on a suit and to stand behind a pulpit that has the authority to preach the Word. We believe God calls men to preach the Gospel. We believe, he says in the the, the chapter 1 again, that He gave it and signified it by His angel unto His servant John to signify, to put a mark on. It's that stamp and that seal that this is the Word of God. It's not just words in the air, but God has signed it with His Spirit that this is indeed the Word of God. So while it may be a man that you know and that I know, yet if, if it's coming from the book, then it is from, it's from this one that's in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. This one that's going to bring judgment. And so he says, I know thy works. What, what does he know? You ever stop for a minute and, and think on that? What does the Lord Jesus know? Let's ask it another way. Is there anything that he doesn't know? Do you mean that? You say no. Do you really mean that there's nothing in the depths of our heart that he's unaware of? Ain't it something that people say they believe that and yet want to try to prop up their works and what they've done as if they are righteous? God knows me. God knows me. All things are naked and open before Him. Now I may prop up works and make it look good to you, but I've, I've never and I will never be able to fool a God that knows and is aware of all things. It's, it's this foolish and silly that here's the priest looking at the lamp and he can see that the wick needs trimmed and the lamp says, I don't need trimmed. And the priest says, I'm looking at you and I can see what you're in need of and you're going to argue with me. Well, here's God. God's, i tell you where God's looking. I, I don't remember where it was. It might have been in this Scripture. Yes, it is. On down, I didn't read it. But he says, I try the rain. You know what that word rain means? I looked that up this morning. And it means the kidney. Now, you know where the kidney's at? Remember, I I believe it was here, we talked about the bowels. That we would say, I love you with all my heart. They in this day would say, from the bowels. The bowels were moved. Uh, That depth of love. Well, the kidney is at the very end of the bowels. That's the deepest point. And the Lord says, I try to the deepest place. I go to the darkest corner. I go to the place that you think nobody knows about this. And nobody sees this. Uh, The Lord is searching the very deep things of our heart. So you see, if we're coming before men, and if man's all you're concerned about, then a flimsy little religion is good enough. But we're coming before a God that, that knows where our mind and our heart is right now, and has been, and everything that's hidden down in the depths of the mind, the Lord is aware of that.
I'm in the midst. I'm present. And I'm searching and trying the reins. And his, his work, his, the priest's work was that the lamp would shine. And so he is searching. And I know thy works. I perceive and I am aware of your work, your toll as an occupation. Now he's going to commend them for their good works. You know, a lot of folks today think that preaching is just continually bashing people down. You hear that all the time. If you want to go to revival, that's, that's just about the majority of what you hear. The Lord doesn't just bash people over the head. He, he's not a, a domineering master, but he's like, he's like a gardener. And He's there to bring out the best that's there, to, to trim away that that's harmful in order to help that that's good. And so He's going to commend them for their good. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. So what are they doing? They're laboring. They're working. That word labor, it means to, to toil and to feel fatigue. If you're going to follow after the Lord, it's going to be labor. It's going to fatigue this body. It's going to be a fatigue to the flesh and to the natural man to pray and to dig into the Word of God. It's going to be that that expends energy. And the church at Ephesus, they're here, and you know what they're doing? They're expending their energy in the service of the Lord. And they're patient. They're cheerfully enduring the hardship. You could look in Acts and see that this church was established and in the city of Ephesus was the temple of Diana. One of the great wonders of the ancient world. A marvelous place. And a place where uh, uh, fornication and adultery and the idolatry, the worship of Diana took place. And you know, you, you think about it, it's always like this, ain't it? You've got the little church that most likely was meeting in somebody's house or in somebody's barn or on somebody's farm somewhere. And then you've got this grand temple that, that still today is a wonder to the world that looks back on it. And you say, well, how could that little thing be right and the big church here, the temple of Diana, be wrong? So you imagine now living in that city under that tradition and under that thinking and they're going to continually be looked down on and sneered upon because they don't join in like everybody else joins in. That happens in church circles as well. You begin, I, I tell you this, you begin to divide the Word of God and they'll begin to look down on you for that work. Because you're not willing to go along with the rest. And God help us not to go along with the rest, but to cheerfully endure. As the Lord suffered and as the Lord endured as He suffered, may God give us strength that in the face of the devil, in the face of the enemy, in the face of those that would mock at the truth, may God give us strength to cheerfully endure for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ that the truth of the gospel might stand and be exalted through us. I know thy works. I know your labor. And I know your patience. And how that's, thou canst not bear them. Put up with 
to carry along. Bear them that are evil. So they're a laboring church. They're enduring and, and they're discerning. They have these that have come. <clears throat> the Bible says they say they are apostles and are not. <clears throat> Here's some that said that they have authority from God to speak the Word and maybe even change the message of the Word of God. Man thinks he's got that authority today. Of the truth today now, man's the one that's coming up with the thought and we make the Word of God fit our thought. So that's what was going on here in Ephesus. Not only did they have an idolatrous world that was up against them, but they had people trying to creep in that would corrupt the message of the gospel. And you know what the church at Ephesus did? They didn't put up with it. They said, we're not going to have that mess be taught in our church. And they tried them. They were found to be liars. They were found to be false. And they put them out. That's a good work. Man says that's not a good work. You ought not do that. But the day that we stand for false doctrine in the church of the living God, we have let down the standard and are allowing the deceiving power of the devil to go out from a place where there ought to be light. Here, he's commending them for not bearing with those that were liars. I tell you, you you can try the spirits and see whether they be of God. Whether it's a big racket or it's a little quiet sound, I believe if, if you're willing to discern, you can weigh the spirits out and see whether that's God in that or not. And as well, we've got the Scripture. We can weigh it against the Scripture and see whether that's the truth or not. We've got those two means to try. We're not going to take them to court. But I tell you, by the, by the Spirit and by the Word of God, we can see whether it's a truth or not. Amen. And if it's not the truth, Friends, if it's not the truth and it's your family, then we ought to say that's not right. That's not right. You're not telling the truth and we're not going to put up with it. So the church at Ephesus, they didn't put up with it. And has borne. So that word means to lift, to endure, to sustain. And has patience. So again, cheerful endurance. And for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. So to faint, they've not run out of strength. They are continuing. And he's noticed, he said these things twice. So a church that's laboring, a church that's enduring, a church that's discerning, and on down in verse 6, they hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and that that must have been a problem at this time. And you know, you can speculate and you can read and they say they believe this, that and the other. We, we can just, it's not revealed here. And I don't believe that's important. I believe we can say this, their doctrine was contrary to the Word of God. And they hated the doctrine that was contrary to the Word of God. You know what the church ought to hate? The church ought to despise that that is not out of the lids of the Word of God. The church ought to despise that that can't be backed up by the Gospel. He says, you hate them which I hate. 
I hate that doctrine. The Lord hates that. That does not line up with a Scripture that is not from Him. So they're discerning and they despise doctrine contrary to the Scripture. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. So you read that through all these letters. And this is what it means. A puny thing. I've got this little thing against you. So he's not mean. He's not, he's not pushing people down under his thumb. But I'll tell you what the Lord does. What looks like a little thing. I believe, I believe if you're saved any length of time, I believe you can see this. It looks like a little thing. And as you begin to dig, as you begin to ponder, as you would get interested and search after that, the, the profundity and the depth of that is beyond measure. And so here he says, listen, I've got a little thing. They're not going to get offended in the flesh. But boy, I tell you, as you begin to roll that over, this is more than just a little thing. I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left. So that word means to send forth, to drive off course. Thy first love, your foremost love. So you've, you've left it. Let's look at a, a scripture in Jeremiah chapter 2. I believe we can see more of what he's saying here. Go and cry. This is Jeremiah 2 verse 2. Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. So you know what he's saying here? The Lord is saying, I remember the love of thine espousals. That's bridegroom. That's a newlywed. Now you think about how that happens. You think about that day. That day of marriage. That love that was there between husband and wife. How that they cared for one another at that time. And as the course of life goes on, man becomes less about the other more about himself. And that love, that love will cool if it's not maintained. And it won't be the same that it once was. That's The Lord says, I remember the first love you had for me when you were out in the wilderness in a land that was not sown and I was giving you food. And I clothed you. I remember how you were. He's going to say in Isaiah, we may turn there in a little while, but he says in Isaiah, look to the hole where you dig. Look to Abraham and Sarah. There's the hole. That's where Israel was dug from. You know where they came from? From a pagan country and a pagan family and an idolatrous people and a man that knew nothing about God. That's where God dug the children of Israel from. You know, when we were first dug, there, there was a love there. And the truth now, the truth is, we leave that love. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of His increase, and all that devour Him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. 
And he's going to say on down in verse 5, What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me, have walked after vanity, and become vain? What's happened? Well, here was a time, and you say, well, that's not possible. Well, Peter writes about it in his letter, about the growth that ought to be in the Christian's life. And he says, he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Now that don't sound like somebody that's lost, but somebody that's forgotten the love and the work that God done for them. So he's going to say here in Revelation, remember therefore. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. So there, there's the key. You think about remembrance. Let's let's look at just a couple places. And I pray the Lord will bring all this together that we could see it. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and there's a pile of places we could look. Let's just look at a couple of these. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which He sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You know what the Lord's going to do? What He's already done at this point that this was written. He had established the Passover feast. You know what that was? Year after year, they would come together and slay that lamb and go through the ritual. But all of that was to remember where God had brought them from. That was put in place to remember the mercy that God had on them in Egypt. To remember how God destroyed Pharaoh and to remember that they got to where they are because God brought them there. But the Lord says when when everything's going to go well with you, beware. Be aware. Because the tendency is to forget about the one that brought you here and to trust in everything that, that you've got. So He brought them into a land. They moved into houses that other people had built. They moved into farms that other people had planted. They had trees that other people had planted and nursed. All of this stuff, you know, God freely gave that to them. They've done no labor for any of that. I believe some of them moved in and they harvested a crop that first year in Canaan that they did nothing to plant and to grow. My God, what goodness that God is that God looked on a people that was in bondage and were slaves and were absolutely nothing in the sight of the world. I'll tell you what the world thought of them. The world thought, let's take their young'uns and throw them in the river. Let's put them under a burden so heavy that they can't get out from under. Let's lay a labor on them that they'll never get accomplished. But the Lord heard their cry. The Lord heard them. 
in their affliction. And the Lord said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and destroy Egypt that those people can be free. I read it here some time ago. I'll give Egypt for your ransom. I'll kill them. I'll destroy Pharaoh and his house that you could go free. Now what had they done to earn that? That was God keeping His covenant. That was God doing what God promised that He was going to do to Abraham. And so God showed them goodness. And God brought them out of that. And even even in the midst of God working these great miracles, they said, we should have never listened to you and we should have stayed down there. We were better off down there in Egypt. My God, how how blind that the heart of man is. But I, I believe you can see the allegory there between them and us. We weren't under Pharaoh, but we were under the devil, weren't we? And he had burdened us and and deceived us and blinded us and the God's truth is we were His servants and we didn't know any bit better about it. We didn't know anything about liberty. We didn't know about freedom because we thought we were free in the bondage of sin and iniquity. We thought that we had it good. We thought we were having our way. We thought this is what I want. And the truth is we thought it because the devil had blinded us. I wasn't crying to be saved. I didn't know I needed saved. I was good where I was. And I was happy to be there. And I had done nothing. Nothing different. I did not repent. I did not say I'm going to do better. I didn't say I'm going to go to this revival or I'm going to go to this altar. Nothing I did was the first move. Do you see that? I hope to God you can see that. Who made the first move? The Lord made the first move. He showed us love first. He came to where we were first. And you know what He did first thing? He opened my eyes. And I began to realize what bondage that I was really in down there in Egypt. But He didn't just do that to make me miserable. There was a purpose in all things. He began a work there in conviction that was to bring me to Him and to give me liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ with no working of mine to be credited for. So you know what I can do? I can go back in my memory and remember the whole of the pit that I was in. Can you? I can go back and remember what it was like down in Egypt. I can remember what Pharaoh was like to me. I can remember the bondage that I was in and I remember the Lord when He came to me when I was helpless when I was blind, when I was in darkness, and He brought me out of that. He, he brought me out. Well, you had to come to an altar. I came to an altar because He brought me out.
He was working. That coming, that was a result of Him working. My repenting was a result of Him working. My sorrow was a result of Him working. It didn't come from me. It was never there before. But boy, when God began to work, all of those things fell right in order. It was the purpose of God for salvation. So what have I got then to credit myself for? Look back. Let's look in Isaiah. Beware lest you forget. So in Isaiah 51, I believe... Let's just read that Scripture. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. So the children of Israel... They're going to go into this good land after all that good God has done and they're going to be blessed beyond measure. So God has redeemed us out of that state. And can you remember the way that you loved Him when He first brought you out? Do you remember that first love, that foremost love that was there, that love as Jeremiah says, the love of thine espousals when we were fresh out of darkness and fresh out of the prison and it was fresh on our mind the sin that we were in it was fresh on our mind how corrupt that we were we could remember easily just how helpless that we were in that condition and we loved him we loved him because he brought us out we loved Him because He redeemed us and adopted us and made us His people. But time goes on and we enjoy His goodness and we enjoy His blessing and we enjoy His mercy and His kindness. And this first love, that don't leave in a moment, but it's gradual. And you don't know it's happening. Ain't, I tell you, you talk about subtle. Yes. That a man can fall a mighty long ways and not know he's falling. Well, I don't believe that. Well, I believe David did, don't you? I believe David began. He began on a rooftop. Well, we can go before that. He began not going to battle. Sure. But he went on the rooftop and he saw... And he took and he had and he had killed and he married and brought in. And you know the truth? There was no admission there. It was covered up and there would have never been had God not came and revealed what that was. You know what happened? David left his first love and he loved something else in its place. There's always something that takes the place of. It's not that this love dwines and goes away and there's nothing left to feel, but there is something in the place where the affections toward the Savior ought to be. That we've fallen from the love and affection that we once had when it, when it tickled us to go pray to the Lord. 
When it was a joy for us to fall on our face and get to call on the name of the Lord, when we were first brought out, that was new. Was it not? This Word of God, we had never been able to understand it before. But now I could read, and I could read and see myself in there. I can read and see me being redeemed in the Word of God. I can see my Savior revealed in the Scripture. And there was a hunger and a desire to spend time with the One that saved me. But boy, God's been good. And God's blessed. And God's given. And our love to Him's grown colder. And our love for what He's given has gone upward. And as, as this begins to happen, man begins to be self-reliant. I don't need the Word of God because I already know. And I don't need to pray because I've already got it under control. And I don't need to serve the Lord because I'm good enough the way I am. I don't need to repent and I don't need to be sorry, and I don't need to be different because I've got everything I need and I don't need anything else. And we went there slowly and didn't even know we were going there. So he says, remember thy first works. Now did he not just commend them for all the work they were doing? They were working and they were laboring. But it was not out of a heart of love. Remember Paul wrote to the Galatians that circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything but faith which worketh by love. This faith is active and working and it's motivated by a love for the Savior. And when the love is there, When the love is there, it's not a drudge to go visit her while she's at home. It's not a drudge to come home from work and get to see her and talk to her. But because there's love, there's an enjoyment and a desire to be with her. Or with Him. But you know, when that love's not there, oh Lord, I hate to go home today. And what once was a joy is a hardship now. See, that's, that's what prayer is. And that's what the Word of God is to a multitude. That's what it is when, when the preacher goes over about 30 minutes. When, when they pray too long or somebody testifies too much, it's a problem to me. You know why? How do we get to that place? I, we ought to remember where we've fallen from. We ought to be able to look back to where God brought us from And he says, remember, therefore, from whence. You ought to be able to look back and... What a shame to look back and see that I used to be higher up. That I used to love more. He says in Jeremiah, what what can your fathers accuse me of that they've left me? A God that's done nothing contrary to me. A God that's never done anything evil to me. And yet here I am and I've departed from Him and my love for Him has cooled off. And the service, the service of God has become great. 
He says here, remember from whence thou art fallen and repent. To think or be different afterward. So he's calling for not a trip to an altar. In revival, that's about what people are looking for. And it's just tradition. It's just, well, we come to the altar the first few nights and then he'll preach to lost people. But any real change, anything that lasts longer than a week or two, rarely ever seen. God's saying, I want you to repent. I want you to think or be different afterwards. After what? After He's reproved us. God's give us His Word. God's give us instruction. God's give us the prescription. And God says, repent, be different afterwards and do thy first works. Love me like you once did. Get your affections back on things above. Let me be your desire, recognizing all that I've done for you. The truth. We'd have never been saved without Him. And if He hadn't saved us, and we'd have continued right on, where would your life be right now? The years that's passed from that day till now, where would your mind be? What would your thoughts be like? What would your opinions be? Where would you be monetarily? Where would you be in job? Where would you be had God not intervened in your life? We owe everything we've got to Him. It's all come from Him. Why, preacher, that's unreasonable. It's unreasonable that you would ask me to do that. It's unreasonable that I'd be expected to come. It's unreasonable that I'd have to put out anything extra. It's unreasonable to have any extra services. It's unreasonable to try to have a Bible study. It's unreasonable to try to sing. I tell you, I'm going to give Him just exactly the least that I can. You know what's wrong? The heart is wrong. The first love has been left and there's no affection for the God that redeemed us. It's it's the truth. It's the truth. Repent and do thy first works. So Jesus said, be like you once were. Like you were when I first redeemed you. When you were happy with me when I satisfied you. Because He, He's not changed, has He? He can't change, can He? So, why preacher, it's different today. You hear that? People get married and then two or three years later, well, it's different now than it was. Well, I tell you, this God is not different. He's the same as He was the day we fell in love with Him. He's the same as He was the day we was laying out in the midst of the desert, 
dying in our sins and He came by where we were and He lifted us out of that condition and He put His life within us and He gave us His good and He put us in His family and He set our life on His rock and He made us into children of God. He's the same. And in that day, we loved Him. We wanted to serve Him. It was an honor. It was an honor to do something for Him. Why? Because we loved Him. But you see, when the love dwindles and dries up and goes away, my desire to do anything for Him has gone too. My honor in serving Him goes away and His commandments become grievous. And so repent, be different, and do thy first work. And I realize this. I realize there's a pile of people that can't remember because there's never been a work done. It's not Those people are not who He's talking to here. Those people don't need to repent and do their first works. They need to be resurrected That's right. and brought into the family. But to those that can remember a time that God came to them in the miry clay and we were sunk up to our pits in the mire and we could not free ourselves from it. Why, preacher, I was coming to God when He saved me. No, you were in the mire just like David and you couldn't get free from it and He come and picked you out of that place and He set you on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so He saved us. If we can remember that day and the love that resulted from that. He says, repent and do thy first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. I'm not sure. I I believe you could apply this in a few different ways. I believe if the church as a corporate body is not going to repent at the plea of God, God can remove the light. The gospel, His presence from that church. I believe we see that in the Old Testament. Ezekiel sees the presence of the Lord come from above the altar to the threshold of the door. From the threshold of the door, the Lord goes to the top of the mountain. And from the top of the mountain, He ascends to heaven. You know what happened? Ichabod was wrote on the door. God had departed from His house because of the iniquity of His people. I believe you could say that. But I believe this as well. I believe we could bring it right down to each individual. As my love wanes cold, the light's removed from me. You see that? And the influence and the testimony and the working of the Spirit that I once enjoyed and loved, He's not working like He once did, is He? He's not a part of us like He once was. You know why God's removing that we might repent? Repent and do thy first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Does it look like God is expecting me 
to repent. I, I tell you this. If He did everything that the Word of God says He's done for me, then when He asks me to do something, I should be happy to do whatever that He would ask of me. What would be unreasonable is for me to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Paul wrote, Paul wrote to Philemon. His slave had run away. By the providence of God, that slave ran into Paul. He heard the gospel. God changed that slave and that slave went back home to his master that he had run away from. And Paul wrote this down. He sent a letter back with his slave. Ain't it wonderful? I, the Word of God is wonderful. Paul wrote him a letter. And he said in that letter, if, if him running away cost you anything, you lay that to my charge. I'll pay what he cost you by running away. But, Philemon, remember this, yeah. you owe me already. Yeah. So could the Lord not say that same thing to us? Could the Lord not say, just look at the account, look at what you've done, and my God, my side of the account is ever bit red. It's ever bit ungodly. And look at what I've done. Could God not say, you owe this to me? In truth, we owe it to Him. We owe it to Him. We're indebted to Him. God's not looking for me to come because I owe Him a debt, though. God's looking for me to love Him. To have affection for Him because of the love that He shed abroad upon me. Listen, else I'll come quickly and remove thy candlestick. But this thou hast, thou hatest the deed of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So with that in mind now, there's a people, by that Scripture, there is a people that has an ear, and there is a people that does not. And if I'm not careful, I'll be foolish and say, well, that one ought to move. They may not have an ear. They, you may be right. They may ought to move, but they may not have an ear. You know what the Scripture's saying? Do, do you have an ear? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So look at this revelation then. Here is God who gave to the Son, and the Son gave to His apostles, and the apostles and, and the pastors of the churches are giving it to us by the leadership and power of the Spirit. And as the Spirit would speak, you know what I'm called to do? To hear. Listen and hear. To Him that overcometh, to subdue. That's what that word means. To Him that subdues, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise, the Eden of God. To him that overcometh. To him that subdues. You see, there's, there's a call to action here. There is, and it's important. It's important to rightly divide that. If I took that verse out of context... 
you could easily say, if I pull that out of the Bible, I could say you've got to overcome and if you do it, then you can eat. And then it becomes about me. And it becomes about you and what you do. But see, what we're talking about here is a love that the Lord first shown. And that love works in the heart of the church. And do you know what I believe? I believe he that endures to the end, those are the ones that shall be saved. Do you know why I believe they'll endure to the end? Because of the work of God that began in their heart. I believe God can say with all assurance that to him that overcometh, because we know that greater is he that's within them that belong to God than he that's within the world. And they've got a power in them that will subdue them. So then those that never repent and are never sorry then, that never overcome. What do you think the right judgment scripturally for that person would be? Those that overcome, they're going to eat of the tree of life. That tree in the Garden of Eden that you eat of and live forever, they're the ones that are going to be able to eat. So you know what I can do? I can look at my actions. And they say, what's in my heart? That's what man wants to throw up today. You can see my actions, but you don't know my heart. When the Word of God plainly ties those together, and my actions are intrinsically tied to what's in my heart. You, You know, I love the Lord down in my heart. I believe this, if you love the Lord in your heart, your actions would prove that you loved the Lord in your heart. But the problem is there's no overcoming and there's no submitting and there's no repenting because we've never eaten the tree. We don't have life within us. But God calls us to repent and to do our first works.